Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, cardio nerds, it's Amit. Health inequity refers to avoidable differences in health between different groups of people. In this powerful installment of the Cardioners Narratives and Cardiology series, we learn from Dr. La Princess Brewer and Dr. Norissa Haynes how we can convert health inequity to health equity by partnering and empowering and building bridges with members from the community, the patients themselves, using community-based participatory research. We learn about impactful programs that they have developed and led with incredible success and We also discuss their perspectives as underrepresented minority women physician scientists, as coined by Dr. Michelle Albert. We'd like to offer a special thanks to Dr. Sharon Hayes and Dr. Michelle Albert for being key mentors for the Narratives series, and especially for making this episode possible. This incredible discussion is brought to you in collaboration with the Association of Black Cardiologists. The ABC's mission is to promote the prevention and treatment of cardiovascular disease, including stroke, in Blacks and other diverse populations, and to achieve health equity for all through the elimination of disparities. You may join and support the ABC at abcardio.org. Friends, we thank you for subscribing to and supporting the Cardioners. This podcast is not meant to be used for medical advice. The views expressed here do not necessarily reflect the opinions or policies of our employers. Speaker disclosures are available in the episode description. There is no commercial or in-kind support for this activity. Be sure to claim free CME credit using the link in the episode description. We are so honored to welcome back Dr. Narissa Haynes, one of our Narratives Fit Advisors, and to be welcoming for the very first time, and hopefully not the last time, Dr. La Princess Poor, an absolute leader and visionary when it comes to tackling disparities in the care of minority communities. I have the privilege and pleasure of introducing Narissa Haynes, who's currently a third-year cardiology fellow at the University of Pennsylvania. Her interests include global cardiovascular health. She has spent several years working for PIH in Haiti, community engagement, community-based participatory research, and implementation science. She is currently obtaining a Master of Science in Health Policy. She also serves as a fellow representative to the board of ABC. While a fellow, she co-founded an initiative entitled Safe Haircuts as We Reopen Philadelphia Barbershops and Salons, SHARP, which focuses on helping local predominantly Black-owned businesses stay safe during COVID-19 through infection mitigation education, PPE donations, and COVID-19 vaccine education and mental health support. Narissa, welcome, welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's wonderful to be back. And thank you for the fantastic introduction. I'm really excited for this episode and to talk to Dr. Brewer. We share that excitement, Narissa. And for what's bound to be a very special discussion, we decided to invite a very special person to actually introduce Dr. Brewer. This person has dedicated herself to the care of women, to tackling healthcare inequities. She's an advocate for professional diversity and a devoted mentor to so many. Dr. Sharon Hayes, fittingly, is also a very devoted mentor to Dr. Brewer, as well as us cardioners. So here is Dr. Hayes introducing Dr. Brewer. Hello, I'm Dr. Sharon Hayes. I'm a non-invasive cardiologist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I am thrilled to tell you a bit more about your guest today. Dr. LaPrincess Brewer is a trusted and valued colleague and friend, a gifted researcher, and a woman of faith. 
By day, she is a cardiologist and assistant professor in the Department of Cardiovascular Medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. She is the first African-American woman to join our staff. She is also a rock star, and in the next couple of minutes, I will tell you why. I first met Dr. Brewer when she was deciding where she would do her cardiology fellowship. She had had some experience at Mayo Clinic as a student, so she knew a bit about the organization, but she truly had many options in front of her. The minute I met her, I knew that she really needed to come to Mayo Clinic to train, for many reasons, but selfishly because I wanted to work with her. And she did join us in 2012 for her clinical fellowships in cardiology and then an additional year specializing in preventive cardiology. Originally from North Carolina, prior to coming to Mayo, Dr. Brewer received her Bachelor of Science, magna cum laude, in chemical engineering from Howard University. Then she got her MPH from the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. She also spent time at the NH as a postback research trainee and got her MD at the George Washington University School of Medicine. She completed internal medicine residency training at Johns Hopkins University, where she was mentored by Dr. Lisa Cooper and others who spurred and supported her interests in community-based participatory research in Baltimore. Flash forward to arrival in frigid small-town Minnesota, both a culture and climate shock. From day one at Mayo, Dr. Brewer has focused laser-like in her research activities on addressing cardiovascular health disparities through community-based behavioral interventions and for cardiovascular disease risk factor modification in racial and ethnic minority populations, and in particular, African Americans. From early in her fellowship, when she started building relationships with local community in Black churches, to today, in the middle of a pandemic, virtually every clinical effort and research question has related to improving the care and outcomes of those who have often been forgotten. I have been so privileged to be a small part of Dr. Brewer's career so far. She is currently Principal Investigator of the NIH-funded FAITH Trial, Fostering African-American Improvement in Total Health, Cardiovascular Health Promotion Intervention in Partnership with African-American Churches. I have learned so much with and from Dr. Brewer. We have worked together in sharing heart health messages in church basements, participated in red dress and red tie Sundays, and worked with pastors and their first ladies on a common goal to improve their health of their congregations. I watched her navigate the ins and outs of IT and app development, driving innovative research practices at Mayo Clinic, and exploring licensing and funding sources. It has been both a joy and a privilege watching her shepherd the development of a culturally tailored, personalized app for cardiovascular health that has the strength of both the science and the people for whom it was intended behind it. This work has truly paid off for those engaged with Dr. Brewer. Her foundational work in the community built trust and provided insights that preceded the COVID-19 pandemic. So when these same communities faced widespread misinformation, woefully insufficient PPE, and no access to COVID-19 testing, she jumped in to address the highest felt needs, including the development of disaster planning protocols for the churches and bringing quick turnaround COVID-19 testing facilities to the most affected and often forgotten neighborhoods. Through her work, she has become a nationally recognized expert and is highly sought after for advisory boards and speaking engagements. And while it would take too long to list all of the awards and recognition she's received, just Google her, I'll mention a few recent ones. She was a 2019 Minnesota Public Radio News Changemaker and a 2020 History Maker at Home for the City of Minneapolis. In 2020, she was also recognized by the National Medical Association as a top healthcare professional under 40. 
Her community health advocacy efforts have also been featured on both local and national media, including Essence, CBS, PBS, CNN, and the Huffington Post. She's an active member of the National Medical Association, Minnesota Association of Black Physicians, American Heart Association, and the Association of Black Cardiologists. And she's a fellow of the American College of Cardiology and the American Society of Preventive Cardiology. She serves on committees and advisory boards for these organizations. She gives back in many ways, including becoming a dedicated mentor of junior scholars and community members, and in ensuring the voices of the community are heard. This means that you will see many community names next to hers in publications, as co-presenters, and with her at meetings to present her science. Dr. LaPrincess Brewer has taught me much, and I have been so honored and blessed to be a part of her personal and professional journey. I would be remiss if I didn't acknowledge our mutual love of small dogs. Her highly photogenic, adorable Yorkshire Terrier gizmo is truly a bright spot. With that, I will turn it over to the Cardio Nerds and Dr. Brewer. So with that, Dr. Brewer, we are so honored to finally have you on the show and share these moments with us. Welcome. Oh, thank you. I'm tearing up over here hearing my beloved mentor, Dr. Hayes speak about our journey together, you know, ever since I was a student all the way to now. So that was fantastic. And I'm just so honored. And I'm just so excited and honored to have been invited today and included in this wonderful initiative. So thank you for having me. Well, thank you so much. And I would like for us to get started. Would you mind describing for us what faith is and why faith was needed? Of course. So FAITH is an acronym. So every good cardiovascular researcher has to have an acronym for their studies. So (laughs) FAITH actually stands for Fostering African-American Improvement in Total Health. And it is a cardiovascular health and wellness program to promote cardiovascular health among racial and ethnic minority groups through innovative community-based behavioral interventions. And we use a community-based participatory research, or I'll refer to from hereafter, CBPR approach to develop genuine relationships with organizations serving marginalized and socioeconomically disadvantaged populations. And we currently have partnerships with African-American churches and community health centers in Rochester, as well as the Twin Cities metro area. We have over a decade of collaborations with the African-American faith community and have a track record for improving their health outcomes. And just for our listeners, CBPR is a form of community-engaged research in which community members are involved throughout the research process, from conception of the research question, intervention design, to actual implementation and dissemination of the findings. And I love CBPR. It really emerged in light of the recognition that our traditional research approaches have just failed to resolve the health disparities among vulnerable populations. And just through listening to my community members, they've also expressed discontentment that, you know, the knowledge gained from research is not directly of benefit to them. And oftentimes they feel exploited or used. So CBPR can serve as a bridge, if you will, to fill this gap. And it also embodies team science because everyone's at the table working towards a collective goal. I can give you a little bit of background about faith. It does have roots in Baltimore, Maryland, where I did my MPH, as Dr. Hayes mentioned. So um, it actually started with a class project during my public health studies at Johns Hopkins. And we were charged as classmates to develop a potentially sustainable community-based intervention 
to address health disparities in the surrounding community in Baltimore, Maryland, and East Baltimore, which is predominantly African-American. And as a group, we felt that partnering with a trusted institution within this community would be essential. So we decided to partner with none other than the Black Church. We partnered with the church that was actually just a stone's throw away from Johns Hopkins. And you could actually see the Hopkins medicine sign. And interestingly, no entity from Hopkins had ever partnered with this church on any sort of health-related programming. So we were right on time. The, the church pastor, you know, welcomed us really with open arms. It's, he was eager to develop his health ministry, and he was fairly new at the church. And we co-developed a nutrition education program with the church pastor and auxiliary leaders to meet the needs of the congregation. And I maintained a relationship with this church throughout my residency at Hopkins and, and fortunately was accepted into cardiology fellowship at Mayo Clinic through the help and guidance of Dr. Sharon Hayes. And before I left Baltimore, you know, the the church members pleaded with me to not let go of faith um, as they felt that it really had an impact on the culture of their church. And, you know, I really carried this with me as I transitioned here to the tundra of Rochester, Minnesota in 2013. And during my second year of cardiology fellowship, I was fortunate to have support from our fellowship directors and the department and Mayo Clinic to then bring faith here to Rochester. So, you know, I'll stop there, but that's just kind of the background of where faith started and and how it got to uh, Rochester, Minnesota. That is very impressive, Dr. Brewer. And, you know, as somebody at Hopkins now, I know that there is a real emphasis on community engagement. So you may have started something or reinforced something that there needed to be work on. And actually, I've had the opportunity to be on two community phone calls that kind of helped uh, talk to the local neighborhood about what's going on COVID in the hospital and out of the hospital. And it's a really refreshing relationship. So thanks for bringing that up. And it's unbelievable to imagine that you started Faith as a fellow. What exactly motivated you on a personal level to start Faith in the first place? So I must say I've always had you know, a passion for eliminating health disparities. And I've always enjoyed developing solutions to complex problems. And I really think this stems from my engineering background. You know, it was one of the reasons I went into cardiology because it's such a fascinating field with so many different arenas to bring your expertise and it's constantly evolving. So through my public health training, I was able to learn, you know, evidence-based and supportive strategies to tackle health disparities. And then I took those tools that I learned to apply them to develop faith. And I guess another why, if you will, as to why I wanted to continue this in Minnesota, you know, after transitioning from Maryland, is because there's this common misconception here in Minnesota and really across the nation that Minnesotans here are just healthy as can be. And, you know, Minnesota has really been consistently designated as one of our nation's healthiest states. But when you dive deeper into the data and look at the differences, Blacks in Minnesota are really worse off. They're two times more likely to die from cardiovascular disease than whites, and they're less likely to have their hypertension under control. You know, as we know, that will place them at even greater risk for cardiovascular disease. So, that's what motivated me to start and to keep faith going. I really appreciate you highlighting that, Dr. Brewer, because I remember when I was growing up as a medical student and thinking about the kind of impact I wanted to have and where I wanted to train, I always had this notion in my mind that, yeah, like, you know, the, the areas of need are the areas uh, that are urban. 
But really, there's need everywhere. You just have to look and oftentimes not too far. I, I imagine, Narissa, you found need all around you as well, because I noticed some parallels between faith and the incredible work that you're doing with the community engagement out of barbershops and salons over there in Philadelphia. So tell me, how did you get involved with that? And what was your role? Sure. Well, I have always been interested in community engagement and listening to Dr. Brewer speak, I think you're right. There are a lot of parallels. I also enjoy tackling complex issues for which the solution usually involves teamwork. And I participated in a few community-facing initiatives while I was in college. And once at Penn, pre-COVID, I was involved in the SNMA, and they ran a program entitled Cut Hypertension. And through Cut Hypertension, uh, the medical students would go into local barbershops and screen clients for hypertension. And I started working with the medical students as a cardiology fellow to improve the screening and eventually met a medical student who would become the co-founder of Sharp with me. I specifically got to know a number of the barbers uh, very well and one barber shop owner in particular pre-pandemic. His name is Daryl Thomas and he owns Philly Cuts in West Philadelphia. He used to host town halls in his shop that I would attend frequently. And I greatly enjoyed learning the history of West Philadelphia and the needs of the community through those interactions. That is actually fascinating and also really, really inspiring, Narissa. Your work with the community clearly had a large impact on you. Why was working specifically in barbershops and salons so important to you? Well, barbershops and salons are among the first generation of Black-owned businesses. They bring financial vitality to their communities. They are more than just places where people go to get their hair styled or cut, but they also serve as places where people socialize, fellowship, share information, and educate one another. And like the church, they are trusted entities in the community. Barbers and stylists also have very personal relationship with their clients, and they know the community very well. And to parallel that, after hearing some of the development that Dr. Brewer did with Faith, through my own work in the community, I'm very interested in implementation science. But the devil is always in the details. But what you've been able to accomplish with Faith is truly extraordinary. Logistically, how did you establish and maintain Faith as a busy cardiologist? Awesome question. And I'm sitting here wiping my forehead right now. (laughs) You know, it was no simple and easy feat. Community-based work is time-intensive, and it really takes a sincere and dedicated commitment. I must say that, you know, my community partners and the communities I've had the blessing to serve really motivate me to continue to do this work, especially when it gets tough and challenging. It's not always butterflies and rainbows. It's an absolute honor and privilege to work alongside my amazing community partners and and just seeing how much they care about the health and wellness of their communities is inspiring. They're truly brilliant, insightful, and they always have my back. And it's really beautiful just looking back over the years just to see how our relationship has blossomed. And oftentimes I'll say, you know, when I'm giving a, a, a talk, that we did this and we did that when discussing our work with faith, we include my community partners. And Dr. Hayes also brilliantly stated this, that we were together in basements of churches developing these relationships that really grew into something much larger. So it really takes that investment of time. And one of my colleagues consistently states that right in the middle of the word community is you and I. So that 
totally brings home the point that you cannot do community-engaged research alone. Thanks so much, Dr. Burr, for that. And we can really appreciate the power of we when the collective gets together and leaves the walls of whatever institution they're in and just reaches out to their neighbors. And there's so much that could be accomplished when there's that collaboration. And Narissa, speaking of extraordinary, can you tell us a little bit more about SHARP? What is SHARP? How did it get started? And what needs did you hope to address? Sure. So SHARP, which again stands for Safe Haircuts as We Reopen Philadelphia Barbershops and Salons, started after Daryl Thomas, the owner of Philly Cuts, reached out to Crystal Hill, who's uh, the co-founder of Sharp, and myself. And he had very specific questions about how he could keep his business safe during the pandemic. And from that conversation, we started to help Daryl, as well as a number of other businesses in the community, implement proper COVID-19 safety practices in order to keep themselves, their businesses, clients, and staff safe. From then, we quickly built a team that included students, trainees, faculty, as well as infectious disease specialists. And together, we were able to create a safety blueprint for the shops that met the CDC and Health Department uh, Philadelphia guidelines. We were also able to receive uh, personal protective equipment donations from the University of Pennsylvania and Accenture, the healthcare consulting company. And in total, we donated thousands of PPE items to over 30 businesses in the Southwest and West Philadelphia area. And another important thing to mention is that since the beginning of the pandemic, 40% of minority-owned small businesses have been closed. We also know that these communities have been disproportionately impacted by COVID-19. So in the words of Daryl Thomas, the barbershop owner, the businesses and the community at large have been suffering a physical as well as a financial death. And so due to the financial toll, we also organized grant writing sessions through the Netter Center at Penn to help the Coalition of Businesses in West Philadelphia apply for governmental financial relief. Wow, this is, uh, you know, in this whole pandemic era, there's new, there's so much newness and so much adjusting. And so it's really, really commendable to attack some of these issues and get at them to make a big difference. Marissa, what challenges have you had while starting and running Sharp? So some of the challenges that I have had are juggling a busy clinical schedule as a fellow. I'm also currently getting a master's, so a full course load, and trying to help the community at the same time. So like Dr. LaPrincess Brewer said, it's very difficult. It's a lot of work, but you know we do it because we're very passionate and we care deeply about the community. You can't do this kind of work and, and put so much time and effort into this if this weren't a calling. There was something Dr. Burr said earlier that really stuck with me, Dr. Burr, and you said um, something about the community that I've had the blessing to serve. Just that combination of words. Is, there's nothing self-aggrandizing or self-promotional about that. It's about serving the community. It's about taking care of the people around you. You're such a gift. You know, Both you and Narissa, you guys are such gifts to the communities that you're serving, but you feel like you're the blessed one. You know, And I, I've, I've heard Narissa speak in very similar language. And so it's really touching and very inspiring and moving to to promote this kind of work. So, you know, I just have to congratulate you, Narissa, for all of this incredible work that you're doing with Sharp. The support you provide for this community is just invaluable and that you were able to design and execute it all as a fellow is inspiring to say the least. So speaking of meeting people where they're at and lifting that community, Dr. Brewer, how did you decide to partner specifically with the Black faith community? Thank you so much for your kind words. Again, it it definitely is a blessing and you do have to have a calling (laughs) to do this work. Um, As I mentioned, there are challenges. And as Narissa mentioned, having your community partners working alongside you really makes this worthwhile. So I really wanted to congratulate her as well on her work with Sharp and uh, Barbershops and Salons. 
So, you know, we partner with the Black faith community or what we fondly refer to as the Black church because it's been the longstanding institutional backbone of the African-American community. And in my opinion, it was the unprecedented original social networking platform among African-Americans. So everyone looks to the church to know what's going on in the community. And long, this is long before there was any, you know, social networking like Black Twitter, I was honored to collaborate with a scholar and health equity research leader, Dr. David Williams, recently on an editorial published in the American Journal of Public Health in 2019, when it highlighted how the Black church and faith-based organizations really have been at the forefront of health promotion through community-based interventions in underserved communities since its inception hundreds of years ago. And there have been several successful community-based interventions delivered in partnership with African-American churches, even prior to faith, that we have modeled that have improved cardiovascular risk of the faith community and African-Americans. So why not the Black church, I guess, is is the question. It's the centerpiece of the African-American community. Why not the Black church indeed? And why not barbershops also? You know, Nerissa made some incredible Mm -hmm, parallels about how they're the fulcrum of the community. So for this community engagement to be successful, impactful, effective, you need to gain the trust of the people. You need to have buy-in from them. They need to believe that you have their best interests at heart. So for both Faith and for Sharp, how were these projects initially received by the community? And did you find yourself welcomed with open arms or... Did you have to build that trust over time before you could have that impact? I love this question um, because it really speaks to the process of community engagement and humility and what that means and how you have to carry that with you while doing this type of work. So faith was welcome with open arms during its early days in Baltimore. And I believe this was likely due to our approach of you know meeting our flagship church there in East Baltimore, where they were, and asking them directly, what would your congregation want in a health promotion program? Rather than going in and saying, hey, we have this and this for you. This is what you need to do. We ask them, what do you want? And also having buy-in from the church pastor to bring the program into the church was also key. However, interestingly, I was not welcome with open arms initially into the Rochester, Minnesota faith community. Although I had the initial buy-in from the church pastors as they wanted to improve the health of their members, this was not the case from the actual congregation members. So I can clearly see it now during my first meetings with the congregations as a whole. There was clear skepticism towards me. I received so many questions and kind of side-eye looks of, you know, kind of, why are you here? And, And why did Mayo Clinic send you to our church? And I also distinctly remember someone telling me to sit down. And I didn't take that personally as I was actually standing up and showing a PowerPoint slides in a suit. But it really was a teachable moment that you have to kind of shed all that back, take that off and just sit down and really meet people where they are and look at them eye to eye. And you can only imagine how shocked I was, you know, as a Black physician to, to be on the receiving end of these comments and in a, in a church of all places. And, you know, although there were comments about prior historical ethical research wrongs, you know, like Tuskegee, syphilis study, and in my opinion, you know, this skepticism actually was stemmed from 
a lack of outreach, if you will, historically by our institution to this community, which kind of led to their distrust of my intentions. So I knew there was a huge elephant in the room that needed to be addressed. So I actually took a step back from the research itself and actually listened to them and delved deeper into their concerns. And over time, you know, we developed a trusting relationship. And now my biggest adversaries are my biggest cheerleaders. And they wanted to know that I was in this process for the long run and not just a hit and run to get data to advance my career. Wow, this uh, whole story and process that you went through sounds is, is, is not something that I would have necessarily expected. For Sharp, initially, we were well received because in many ways, the community reached out to us for help. But I, I will say that it took a while to develop the relationship with the shops and with the barbers and stylists through cut hypertension. So those relationships were built over a number of years so that when the pandemic hit, they felt comfortable reaching out to us for assistance. We eventually were well received by the majority of the coalition of businesses because we were introduced to them by Daryl, right? And so they trusted him, he trusted us, and by proxy, we were then accepted by the group. But I, I will echo the sentiments of Dr. Brewer. We did also encounter some skepticism at first due to the historical lack of outreach. And, and so we had to definitely overcome that, you know, try to show that we, although, you know, we're physicians and there's a history of lack of maybe outreach from a number of institutions across the country, we were there to help and to do the best we could for the community. You know, these parallels and also the contrast between your two startup stories or your origin stories with working with the community are very interesting. And and obviously, no place is alike. Narissa and Dr. Brewer, what you have been able to do and achieve has is absolutely amazing. And I'm sure that there are many other cities out there that could benefit from having innovators, collaborators, and people with so much heart and passion, such as yourselves. And, you know, just hearing those stories before may really inform what you'd answer me to this next part. But what would you say to others hoping to bridge gaps in care, connect with communities, how would they begin? Like, what would be a good strategic way to initiate a program such as the ones that you've started? So I must say that really conducting this type of work is not easy, but as we both have expressed, it, it's so fulfilling and it, it's not for the faint of heart as you really have to learn to be adaptable and have uh, cultural humility, if you will. And you have to have a genuine heart and commitment to the community and a keen ability to listen because the community can see right through those intentions. You know, they have been through so much themselves that they know when you are not sincere. And I'm very overprotective of our community members as I you know, really want to make sure that they're not taken advantage of but instead that they're partnered with by those that are, you know, really interested in doing this type of work. And, you know, I really would tell others interested in community-engaged research or even along the full spectrum to CBPR to really begin with an introspective reflection on really why do you want to do this type of work and then take time to build relationships with and understand the culture of the population that you want to serve. And I always find it difficult when people say, oh, you know, that's a, a hard to reach population, you know, that they're just so hard to reach. But I always respond and say, have you 
tried hard enough to reach them. And, and that really makes people reflect on, you know, why they want to do this and how they are going about doing this type of work. I agree with Dr. Brewer completely. And I will say that having worked on SHARP for a while, in order for community level programs to be effective, it's important for them to be well-resourced, which is sometimes an issue. And community members should have a seat at the table and there needs to be trust. Without trust, you have nothing. There needs to be positive relationship building with respect, understanding, and humility in order to build trust and to develop powerful and impactful relationships. And at the end of the day, you know, change moves at the speed of trust. So unless you have that, it's not going to be an effective, an effective program. That makes a lot of sense. You know, we talk about building a therapeutic alliance with our individual patients, but what you're both talking about is really fostering that therapeutic alliance with the community as a whole. So I wanted to ask a question that came up in my mind after reading the paper hashtag me who by Dr. Michelle Albert, the president of the Association for Black Cardiologists, where she wrote about some of the challenges unique to underrepresented minority women physician scientists. And I'll quote from that paper, many URM faculty are often pulled between passion or obligation for providing clinical care at the community level, which arguably has positive health benefits to both providers and patients, and an interest in academic endeavors. The current model that isolates academia from practice fails the needs of patients, providers, and communities. I think what she was getting at is this sort of academic ascension, right? This like tenure track to becoming a professor doesn't always prioritize patient care or community service. And in parallel to that, grant funding, a lot of NIH funding doesn't necessarily prioritize research into health inequities. But Dr. Brewer, you just it's just incredible how effectively you've paired your passion and zeal for community service and improving the health of underserved populations with academic achievement. The recognition that you're bringing into this area is so admirable. And I'm wondering, what would you say to so many young trainees people like Narissa or people who, you know, maybe are, haven't had as, as much achievement as, as Narissa has had, who, who are so passionate about community service and taking care of people who are underserved, but maybe are discouraged by what they see around them in terms of how, you know, what's prioritized in terms of academic achievement. What would you say to those bright young trainees who, who are future leaders in medicine? Yes, thank you so much. I mean, this is great to have the opportunity to speak on, especially after reading the brilliancy of Dr. Michelle Albert's uh, editorial and commentary on this piece. And I oftentimes tell my colleagues um, that are also African-American cardiologists and physicians that she was speaking directly to me. And I said, I, I really wish that she would have had a, a case study, you know, kind of at the very end of her paper to highlight, uh, you know, my story too, but she de it definitely resonated with me. But I would, you know, give advice to others really trying to navigate academia, if you will, and while trying to balance their values and what's most important to them from a research and community outreach standpoint is that you can integrate these together. I, I've clearly been able to do that. I've been able to merge not only, you know, my public health, population health, community engagement and service interests with my love of preventive cardiology and, and training. So it, it can be done, um, but you really just have to, 
you know, one of the questions presented was the recipe for success. So I, I must say that once I stopped comparing myself to others as a way for my own personal development, I became more confident in my abilities to do this type of work. And fortunately, I've been able to become an accomplished cardiologist and community leader and advocate. But unfortunately, competitiveness is really ingrained in our medical training. And, you know, it's really something that we have to overcome. But really, I just encourage those that are interested in this type of work that it can be done. It can be recognized as true science and not just service. And you can feel fulfilled and also be rewarded for the time and efforts that you put into it. Thank you so much, Dr. Brewer. And if I might make an observation, you know, you strike me as someone who's not driven by these external rewards of being recognized, but rather, you know, going back to that language of you yourself feeling blessed to be able to serve the community. It's it's that calling and, you know, everything else is sort of the fruits of the labor, but the primary goal is is that calling to serve the community. You know, but there is a way to you know, to be recognized and appropriately so uh, climb in academic ranks, because that's also important to to carry the work forward and mentor others to get inspired to do similarly. Yeah. On the topic of Dr. Michelle Albert, I have to say we feel so fortunate to also be able to call her an advisor, especially for this narrative series. We've been so touched and inspired really by the work that the Association for Black Cardiologists have been doing. Very impactful. And so, you know, Narissa, you're a fellow member of the board. Why do you think that the ABC is so uniquely important and how has it helped your career? Well, thank you for that question. Michelle Albert, as well as Dr. LaPrincess Brewer, are phenomenal mentors. And I will say that ABC is unique because as an organization, it has focused on health equity, diversity, and inclusion for nearly 50 years. And achieving equity is a core mission of the ABC. It is also unique because it provides access to a network of professionals who are deeply passionate about the wellness and health of vulnerable communities. And many members, such as Dr. LaPrincess Brewer, have made achieving health equity their life's work. The ABC has helped me in my career and professional development tremendously. Through ABC, I have received sponsorship, mentorship, and scholarly opportunities. I have also participated in several national talks and hosted events. So these experiences have helped to develop my professional confidence and my professional sense of self, if I'm going to be honest. I think that I am stronger and more confident as a speaker, researcher, and leader in large part due to my participation in ABC. Narissa, you know, that's really powerful to hear how the ABC actually provides a community for you and a nurturing community at that, which really is, it's almost like full cycle in terms of what you're now doing for your local communities. You know, we've heard a lot about your passions and work in the community service space and also community engagement. And we'd like to now take a few moments in the second part of this discussion to get to know both of you on a personal level and learn what we call your narratives in cardiology. So Narissa and Dr. Brewer, do you recall what was the moment that you decided that you would become a cardiologist? Yes. So my aha moment, if you will, was actually when I was an undergrad at Howard University. I actually took my summer to uh, complete a summer research program at Duke University. And I worked with a cardiologist who was a physician scientist. And the fact that this cardiologist was able to balance both patient care And also research was just fascinating to me. 
And I, at that moment, realized that I could merge kind of my uh, desire to give back and that human touch that I was missing with my engineering studies, and then just bridge that into medicine. So that was my aha moment. And to see that I was also able to integrate my engineering background into cardiology with the hemodynamics and just the teamwork that's involved with with cardiology. And again, as I mentioned, the constant evolution and discovery of cardiology, I was totally in. Narissa, you talked to us in the past about how you got interested first in medicine through a pipeline program. Would you mind sharing a little bit about that? Sure. So I think the first time that I had an inkling or an idea uh, that I may want to be a cardiologist was when I was in high school and I participated in a program called Health Preparation Explosion Recruitment Program or HPREP. And Dr. Woody Lee at Yale ran the program. and He was a cardiologist and he took me under his wing and left a lasting impression on me. And I remember wanting to be just like him. And due to that early mentorship, I was drawn to cardiology from a young age. That's really incredible. And, you know, returning back to that paper by Dr. Michelle Albert, hashtag me who, I'd like to read an excerpt. And she wrote that underrepresented women physician scientists are isolated because of a lack of critical mass by both sex and race ethnicity. Women and URMs represent only 15% and 2 to 4% of cardiologists, respectively. The subsequent isolation impedes the social engagement necessary for academic and personal success. Drivers of this isolation include but are not limited to lack of racial and ethnic diversity, racial and ethnic discrimination from patients and families, bias from superiors and colleagues, a hypervigilance from stereotype threat, reactions to tokenism, and in some cases, misguided promotion of only one URM as being successful. For minority women, these experiences are further amplified by social environments, which may create, and and I'm paraphrasing, which may create a circumstance that promotes lack of shared social experience with non-URM women and successful men of any race or ethnicity. So this is a pretty loaded excerpt, but Dr. Brewer, are there elements of this that um, you find relatable? Yes, definitely. So as I mentioned, you know, when I was reading this phenomenal work, it truly resonated with me because I could see myself interwoven into many of the lines of Dr. Albert's paper. Many of the challenges that you pointed out from this excerpt, you know, I've dealt with, I'm sure Dr. Haynes has also, you know, felt um, throughout her training as a cardiology fellow as well. And it really highlights that sometimes it's lonely at the top, right? Um, You know, we've accomplished so much um, and it took so much for us to get here. But actually, when you actually get there, you know, there, there are not that many underrepresented minorities in cardiology. But I think this actually brings home the point that Narissa mentioned that organizations such as the Association of Black Cardiologists are so pivotal to our success because they do foster that nurturing environment and we do see others that look like us and we can be supportive of one another and afford each other opportunities. Again, it's a blessing to be a part of the Association of Black Cardiologists. And as Narissa mentioned, I've also had several opportunities that have emerged, you know, from my membership in ABC. And I've really had the honor of meeting several of the ABC founders and just 
seeing their vision of achieving health equity has really motivated me to keep pushing forward. And to see African-American women in leadership within ABC, such as Dr. Michelle Albert, really, really is inspiring um, and really makes this all worthwhile. I agree with everything um, that Dr. Brewer mentioned and everything that Dr. Albert wrote uh, so eloquently in her piece. It can be very challenging for a number of reasons as a URM. It is lonely, you know, at the top, especially when, you know, you don't frequently uh, get to work with people who, who look like you. But, you know, I'm encouraged because of my patients. Um, I think that our presence, my presence, um, Dr. Brewer's presence, and, and just having a diverse cohort of physicians and cardiologists is important, right? We should reflect our patient population because it makes a difference to them. Um, and I can't tell you how many times I've had patients tell me that, you know, they're proud of me. They're so happy to see me there because of you know, the historical climb that many demographic groups have had to do in order to be able to say that they're physicians and to reach this point. And so, again, I, I completely agree with Dr. Brewer and Dr. Albert, and I'm also, you know, very grateful for them and for the ABC for that reason, because it does provide a network of professionals who understand exactly what you are going through as a trainee and and how difficult it can be sometimes. And, and for that reason, it's very helpful to have associations such as the Association of Black Cardiologists. Thank you both so much for sharing these powerful perspectives. And what I heard both of you say is that it's lonely at the top. And I get this impression that there are a lot of people feeling lonely simultaneously, just not realizing that this is such a shared experience that others have as well. So while, you know, the numbers within our micro environments are not great, there, there is power in community and power in numbers from the global scale. And this is actually one of the motivation for the narrative series is to share that people don't have to feel lonely and isolated, that these experiences that you both are sharing are shared experiences. And it's important to talk about it. You know, it's like Dr. Manning told us once, you don't know what you don't talk about, right? So with that thought in mind, Dr. Brewer, what would you want to say to someone who maybe is earlier in their career and is feeling lonely, maybe doesn't have a lot of support in their micro environment, uh, or maybe alternatively, what would you say to yourself when you were younger and, and just trying to figure out life, uh, you know, and growing up in medicine? You know, I, I would just say, stay encouraged, um, even as, as Narissa mentioned, really, you have to encourage yourself sometimes to keep going, really go back to the foundation of why you're doing this. And I think in parallel, Narissa and I always go back to our patients and our communities and wanting to contribute to the greater good of society. And that is what motivates me and keeps me going. And knowing that I'm not alone is I have this whole community wrapping their arms around me, cheering me on as I'm going on to uh, improve the health of our communities. So, you know, I would just say really just stay encouraged. We're here to support each other. Although, you know, we may be few in number, we're, we're great in the support that we can provide to one another. You both strike me as people who assess a current situation, make changes, and then look forward to the future. So Dr. Brewer, 
What would you say the future of cardiology looks like? I I would definitely say the future of cardiology is more diverse, more welcoming, and continuing to evolve. And I would say it's also becoming more community engaged and focused towards achieving cardiovascular health equity for all. That is a future I'd like to be in. Yeah, I'll definitely raise a toast to that. (laughs) Great. So again, thank you, Dr. Brewer, for joining us today. This has been a fantastic discussion. And Dr. Brewer, I cannot begin to tell you how encouraging your words have been for me. You've motivated me to keep going, and I'm sure you will inspire many of our listeners as well. Thank you for the fantastic work that you do and for the trail that you are blazing so that people like me can have someone to follow. And thank you again for joining us. Thank you again. It was truly a pleasure, honor, and a blessing. Dan, I think you're muted. God, I went from unmuted to mute. (laughs) I was so charming. You guys will miss that. I'm sorry. (laughs) I'll start again.